0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production.
1: Tonight, I am going to a real, honest-to-goodness rock and roll show. It's my first since the pandemic began. I've been, naturally, looking forward to it. As to why it's my first concert in four years, though, I didn't want it to be. But this is the first real show that I both wanted to see and, if I'm being honest, could afford. Concerts have been hit by inflation, like everything else, of course, but they're also unique. They require a ton of moving parts and variables, from the artists to the venue to the financial risks of touring— the increasingly small margins for successful acts and the now built-in costs of the streaming era and, as always, Ticketmaster. In fact, I paid $100 each for the tickets to the show tonight, or at least that's what I remembered paying. Until I just checked them and realized that, after fees, the total was $250. And compared to some fees that I have seen posted, I got off easy. When you combine all of those factors, it's fair to ask what the future holds for live music tours in general. Will the smaller and the middle-tier artists be forced to keep raising their prices just to turn a profit until they eventually price themselves out of most fans' budgets? Will the top-tier tours that have dominated this summer continue to suck up all the money and all the oxygen until it's just... Taylor, Beyoncé, Drake, and everybody else fights over the scraps. And beyond live music, what happens to the already precarious music industry ecosystem if fewer and fewer artists are able to make a living playing concerts? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Soraya Roberts is a culture writer and a contributor to Defector Media. Hello, Soraya.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: You're very welcome. Uh, Tell me about the last concert you went to.
2: Oh my gosh. The last, that's such a basic question that I'm trying to remember because I don't go as often as I used to, but the last concert that I went to was... It was Angel Olson and Sharon Van Etten and Julian Baker, just kind of a super concert. Right. Which, which actually, initially, as far as I can recall, wasn't supposed to be how it was. It was supposed to be like, I think I bought a ticket for a Julian Baker concert and then COVID happened. And then I guess they all sort of got together and were like, actually, let's just make this a huge kind of return thing. So it ended up being actually that the ticket I paid for was a lot cheaper than you would expect for such a large group of people. For those kind of names, it's it's definitely rare.
1: Well, that's why we're talking today, because you wrote a piece about now that, again, COVID's not over, but now that all the restrictions are gone, people are flooding back, hoping to see live music. We've seen some very rowdy crowds at shows and... There are a whole lot of factors that go into touring and the musical economy these days. You wrote a piece exploring your experience, trying to see just one show in 2023. What was that like?
2: It's funny. It's like, you can't just talk about like one thing. Like you can't just talk about, I tried to get a ticket and it was too expensive and that's it. Mm -hmm. It's like, I also have difficulty even finding the concerts that are playing. So the reason I knew that First Aid Kit was playing was because Ticketmaster sends me emails. I do not know why. I think it's just because I bought a ticket at one point. And so I'm on their mailing list. But so I get, I get these updates, like these are the concerts in your area that you seem interested in, like obviously based on some algorithm. Right. So I'm expecting to get like, you know, a similar kind of like maybe a $50 ticket or something. And I go in there and I'm like, why is it
1: $100
2: (laughs) to see this band? It was $100 for general admission already. So that's just like standing around. And then (laughs) I looked for a seated ticket because I'm not 20. and. It was like $450. (laughs) And I was like, no way. Like, there's no way. There's no way on... Even if I had the funds, I would feel weird about spending that amount of money on just like a ticket for a concert for one night. I don't know. It seemed insane. So then I started remembering like, okay, what are all the shows that I have wanted to go to? And I was like, yeah, all the prices just seem so bloated. For, like, what used to be for me just, like, a pretty common thing to just sort of, like I said in the piece, I would look in Now Magazine, which is the defunct, um, it was the weekly sort of rag that had everything in it. And you'd just pick something and you'd pay, like, 10 bucks and you'd go and see whatever band was here. And it wasn't, like, this huge, like, investment. And... It's funny, a lot of the blowback I got on the piece was like, you're old, uh, you don't know any of the new bands, and that's why you're paying so much. And I'm like, "That I grant those people everything, that's true. At the same time, it just didn't seem like there was any in between. And that's why I wrote the piece, basically.
1: As you dug into it, what did you find about the underlying causes of, I, I think, you know, we've talked a lot on this show about various aspects of life that have increased exponentially in cost, from groceries to home ownership to whatever. But concerts are something that, to your point, should be at least affordable for non-mega stars, like not Beyonce, not Taylor Swift. What's been changing to drive these increases?
2: Well, I think the stuff that you just mentioned—you can't remove music from that, from like the da- the expenses of daily life for musicians for even the places that are being run. So you'll know living in Toronto, I mean, just renting or having property here, which is, you know, any club or any small venue or whatever, like the prices are just, they're unsustainable. So that wasn't like a huge thing in the art. Like the big thing in the articles that I was reading in the research was, you know, dynamic pricing. The big problem is Ticketmaster has a monopoly They're doing dynamic pricing, which is, you know, if a band is more popular, we're going to make you pay more. And then they add fees. And then there's also the verified resales, which is, you know, the scalpers and all those things, which were a huge thing before. And they're still a thing. But I think the bigger conversation now is is the fact that Ticketmaster has such a monopoly And it means that you don't have them being kept in check because there's no competition, because nobody can compete because they're unable to afford to. So you do get, I did notice that Maggie Rogers did a kind of old school, like we're going to do tickets that are like physical tickets and we're not going to do it through Ticketmaster and, you know, et cetera. So people lined up for her tickets and the amount that she said the ticket was, was exactly what they bought. And people were like, so relieved mm-hmm. because nothing was there were no hidden fees there was no reselling there was nothing like that it was a consistency that they appreciated despite having to line up so the big thing is ticketmaster but on top of that the musicians and the venues are also living in the world and the world is impossible to live in like you can't afford rent you can't afford even if you can afford rent The musicians who are coming can't afford the overheads of touring. You can't afford the overheads yourself, the venues, I mean, because you've got, it's actually very similar to film, where you've got megaplexes that come in and everyone's going to a megaplex. Nobody's going to the smaller theaters because the megaplexes are bigger. They offer more. It's often more convenient to get to a megaplex. Right. The smaller places are basically priced out.
1: What's changed for those musicians in terms of how they make their money and how they need to be able to afford to tour and generate revenue that way? Like, it didn't used to be this way. Tours were maybe not traditionally the main, main source of income for musicians.
2: Yeah. Not unlike with film and television. You basically have streamers come in, so Spotify. And what you have them doing is they're buying... Basically, the label will have the rights to their music. And I think historically, will have shared in the profits from that. But now what's happening is you have the labels who are kind of... It's a bit of a hoarding thing happening where they're charging Spotify massive, massive amounts of money to basically license the music. And then Spotify is having to pay back a huge amount to them after they've licensed for those huge fees. After that, there's like a very small amount to pay the musicians. And it's also kind of like a, it's not a one-time deal, but it's like you pay them up front and then every stream is like a pittance. And that's because all that money is tied up in those big corporate entities that are hoarding the money and not sharing it with the artists. And so what you have then is... I need to go on tour because I can't afford anything with just selling my music online now because these, these streamers and these labels are hoarding all the money. So I'm basically having to go on the road still being underpaid. So I'm going to have to jack up the prices a little because otherwise I'm not going to be able to like afford my rent. Right. <laughs> So it's, it's actually something that I super don't blame on the musicians at all. I, I blame on the, the sort of climate around them and basically all those entities that have ownership over musicians like all artists and are basically having their comeuppance a little bit right now with unions and with, with sort of lawsuits and with strikes and things like that. It's because people are just like, we fully cannot function with what you're doing to us. And that's... And so... As a as a sort of audience member, I'm just like, I'm kind of less important to that conversation because I'm just saying I can't go to your concert and it's making me sad. <laughs> but like, they actually have a livelihood issue.
1: So we've got Ticketmaster. We have the cost of touring. We have the cost of uh, both venue owners and artists themselves making a living. What about the venues themselves? You mentioned, and I don't know if this is a Toronto-specific problem, But I imagine that this is happening in a lot of towns. There just aren't as many anymore. There just aren't as many places to play.
2: Yeah. Well, this is like the thing I was saying about, it's similar to, like, they also don't have small movie theaters either. And also even restaurants. Like, you're not seeing mom and pop restaurants or mom and pop anything. And the reason you're not seeing that is because these people, again, are being priced out by gentrification. Rents are going up just having to charge more for everything. And some people just don't feel good about that. (laughs) And so they just sort of bow out.
1: Here's my last question before I let you go. What happens to the artists as a result of this? If the only shows making money are the Taylor Swifts and the Beyonce's and other bands can't even afford to tour which is now supposed to be their main source of income, and they're left to Spotify. What does this do to the music industry as a whole and to individual artists that aren't Beyonce and Taylor?
2: Yeah, well, I think of sort of the folk musicians I like. Probably what's happening to them is what what is happening to me as a writer or a lot of artists, which is like, you're basically living a life of a (laughs) sort of how people used to live their life when they were in their early 20s. But now that's reaching up into like the 40s. So there was a point where like you could be a musician and there was a kind of trajectory where, you know, you start out, you're working in crappy bars and then you're kind of, you make your way up and then you like slightly better places. And then, you know, maybe not necessarily stadiums, but you're able to sort of make your way with your licensed music and stuff. You're, you, you can make a pretty good living if you're lucky. Uh, but now it almost feels like unless you're like a massively successful pop star, you're basically screwed. You're you're like, you can do this for fun, but it's a hobby. So you better have another job. And you're probably going to be living with other people if you really want to do this thing. And... I think across the board, it's the same. It's like I was saying with the strike, with the writer's strike, you know, you've got these people who are working on these shows, which are hugely famous. And they're like, well, I've got another job. Or I live with roommates and I'm in my 40s. And I think it's just, I don't know, that also cuts into your ability to be able to produce art. Because if you feel unstable in your life, there's not a lot of space beyond worrying about that kind of stuff to be able to make things. I mean, it's true people fold that into the work they're making. So I think you, you'll you'll start getting a lot more kind of like the old uh, like the old 60s musicians. <laughs> but I I do think that yeah, the problem with that is it, it really it really cuts into the production of all kinds of music as opposed to this sort of monolith of like very popular, very produced, kind of music. And I think that's really sad because a lot of us really like that other kind of music too. And, and younger people aren't really being given an option now.
1: Soraya, thank you for this.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: Soraya Roberts writing for Defector. That was the big story. Joseph Fish is the lead producer of this show. Robin Simon is also a producer. Ryan Clark handled our sound design work this week. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. If you want to get in touch with us, you should know how to do it by now. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us. The address is hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And of course, you can call and leave a voicemail 416-935-5935. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening. If you're at the Jason Isbell Show in Toronto, Friday night, come say hi. Enjoy the long weekend, and we'll talk Tuesday.
0: My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.